Amen. So we are going to continue our survey of the Bible tonight. We're moving along in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to pick it up in chapter 3 tonight. We saw last time that Nehemiah was a man who was really pretty genuinely sensitive to the Lord. He, he was also a man who displayed godly characteristics and humility, and he had the a position of prominence there in Persia, but he didn't really rely on his position or who he was in that uh, in that society to begin this third wave of revival in Jerusalem. He he actually spent up to four months in fasting and prayer, seeking the Lord and praying and, and, and all after hearing the condition of the walls and the gates there in Jerusalem. And, and, and he really did spend that time with the Lord so he could hear from the Lord and, and so he could get direction from the Lord. He didn't want to just go out and, and try to win favor with the king because of his position. He wanted direction from God on how he should approach this, this uh, Persian king. And, and so what we learn from that is the importance of seeking the Lord in our lives. And, you know, don't just go with the natural, but we need to take time to, to stop in, in what we're trying to do and really wait on the Lord and hear the Lord's direction for our life. And, and that there's a real relationship that can be built with the Lord in our times of prayer. And then we, we saw him approach the king. The king releases him to go to Jerusalem. Uh, he, he goes into Jerusalem. He privately kind of takes a survey of the, the rubble and, and all that the, the walls and the gates are and how they're broken down and, and really a survey of what needed to be repaired. And that, that was also a reminder to us about surveying our own lives and allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of look through our life and illuminate those things that, that need His touch and need to be restored and those uh, broken down walls and burned gates in our own lives. And, and so then He steps out and we see once, once He steps out, there was opposition. We met Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem as they were these enemies that were coming against the cause. We're going to see them again tonight. In, in our second chapter, but um, they come on the scene and, and they begin to speak words of discouragement to Nehemiah. And, you know, as we learned Sunday morning even, we, uh, we have an enemy that comes at us and he tries to bring discouragement. When we uh, make that decision to step out in the Lord and say, okay, Lord, take my life and, and I'm going to let you have your way with it instead of my way, uh, it, it's almost immediate when we make that decision that we're going to have opposition and the enemy's going to try to discourage us and keep us ineffective in the way that we would relate to the Lord and serve Him. And, and so these three brought discouragement to Nehemiah. And chapter 2 ended with Nehemiah successfully persuading the people to help him rebuild the walls and the gates. And so even though there was opposition, he, 
he convinced the people to come and to help with this work and uh, they, they were willing to begin the work in spite of the ridicule that was coming from Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And um, remember, they, they were you know, challenging Nehemiah. What are, you, what are you doing? Are you guys going against the king and trying to put this confusion in their mind about the, the project they were going to do? And, and not only did that, that word from these three uh, motivate Nehemiah, but it also motivated the people to come and to participate in the work. And, and so Nehemiah organized them effectively as shown by the, the lists of builders and assignments that we're going to look at t- in tonight's chapter. And, you know, before we get into chapter 3, I'm just going to tell you there's a lot of names uh, a lot of repetition, and you know, whenever we get to a chapter like that, there's this temptation to just kind of skip it. It's like we can't pronounce the names anyway, so we might as well just move on and see what's next. Well, if we skip this chapter, we miss some very powerful instruction from the Lord, and and so we don't want to miss that. Uh, as you get familiar with the various people mentioned in Nehemiah 3, you're going to find yourself saying, wow, the way they come together and the way they look, it looks just like the church today. And and so there's much that we can draw from this. And, uh, you know, God uses all kinds of people. This chapter shows us rulers and priests, and uh, we see them working together. We see men and women coming together and working in this great cause to rebuild the walls and gates. And uh, we see professional craftsmen and laymen who, who aren't skilled and, and they're coming together in the same cause to build the wall, to rebuild the wall. There's even people from outside the city that come and help with the project. So there was a, a place for everyone to serve, a place for everyone to come together and to be a part of what this project was going to accomplish. And if you, you kind of think about that in light of the church today, it, it's very similar. There is, a, there is a role that we all play, that uh, a place in which we can all serve and be a part of this project that God has uh, set forth called His church and, and reaching the world for Jesus Christ. And so... Um, Let's look at our text, uh, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, and as far as the Tower of Hananel, next to Eliashib, men of Jericho built, and next to them... Zechur, the son of Imri, built. So we're going to see throughout this chapter, there's, there's more than, than 50 names mentioned, and there's even some groups of people. So there's a, a pretty good crew of people coming together, and they're all mentioned to be part of this great effort to rebuild the walls. We're, we're going to see plenty of effort uh, being put forth to secure the city. Remember, they're building these walls because they were, they were broken down, the gates were burned out, and, and so that gave the enemy access to the city. So they're, 
They're rebuilding this to fortify the city so they're not exposed to the enemy any longer. And so they they come together. And uh, however, we, we need to first take notice of the first name mentioned here, Eliashib the high priest. I think right in that first verse we see Leadership 101. If work is to be done, the leader can't be afraid to get in there and put his hands to work on the project. And and so we we see that in Eliashib. He, he was the high priest. He could have just stood back and, and gave orders, but... He, he was part of um, what was taking place. If, if anybody in the city should have been busy in the work, it was the priests. Uh, because the, the glory of the Lord was involved in rebuilding this project. Protecting the temple that they had rebuilt already was a part of, of protecting the glory of God coming from Jerusalem. And so the priests should have been very concerned about this and and part of the the building project. Now, uh, the fact that the high priest used his consecrated hands, hands that that were set aside or set apart uh, for the the things in the temple that would honor God, he he put these consecrated hands uh, to do manual labor, and and the fact that he does that shows that he considered the work on the wall to be a ministry to the Lord. Yeah, it was, it was hard labor, and, and they, were, they were using construction and, and such, but, but even what he was doing, he would have considered ministry to the Lord because of what it would have accomplished when, it, when the project was completed. And, and some would think this this labor was not spiritual, but I, I believe it was, to, uh, from his perspective, would have been a spiritual uh, cause. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul wrote this, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Even if it's a manual task of rebuilding something. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. In Colossians 3.17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So whether you're, you're building or cleaning or, or praying or teaching, whatever it is that you're doing, you do that in the name of the Lord. You do that in honor or glory to the Lord. You do it with your best effort. To glorify God. First Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So whatever you're doing, whether you're speaking or if you're ministering to somebody, you do it with all of the ability that God supplies to you so that the glory can be His and that it'll draw attention to Him. So Eliashib led by example. He, he also enlisted the, 
the other priests to come and to work at the sheep gate in, in the northeast corner of the city. And since the, the sacrifices came into the city that way, the priests would have had a, a special interest in that particular gate as part of the project. This, this is, uh, you know, this quality of leadership is one of the, the qualities I admired in Pastor Chuck Smith. And, and also in my pastor, Larry Anderson. If ministry is, is going to be built up, it must come through the, the faithful service of all the people, beginning with the leaders of the church. We can't be afraid to work. I remember Pastor Chuck, all, all the time, he was caught out in the parking lot picking up cigarette butts. This is a man that had a church of 12,000 people. He had all kinds of responsibility he, he had plenty of work that needed to be done, plenty of things that he had to study for and teach, and yet regularly people would see him wandering around campus, you know, picking up paper, picking up cigarette butts, and just cleaning things up. He didn't have to, but it needed to be done, and he did it. He didn't expect somebody to do what he wouldn't do himself. And, and so he led by example, and I believe Eliashib did the same thing. He led by example. And it says next to Eliashib that the men of Jericho were working. Uh, even though these, these didn't work on the important gate ministry they, they built on the wall, it was still important to the success of the project. And man, we, we need to get this into our thinking. This is so important for us to understand. It's important to be about his business right where he wants us to be. So often people think that the only you know, real ministry that takes place is that ministry that people see. And there, there is so much work that is done behind the scenes. There is so much ministry that takes place that doesn't take place in the limelight. And, and actually more of the ministry actually moves that direction. Uh, with people who aren't seen. And, and so it's important for us to be right where he wants us to be and, and doing what he wants us to do. The, the gates seem to have prominence in this and, and to be highlighted, but the walls of the city were protecting the city. And so even though the, the gates seemed to be highlighted, there, there was equal importance at rebuilding the walls. The gate workers were essential, but right next to them, there were those who were faithfully working uh, on the wall, those from Jericho, and, and they were trying to close the gaps. There were some gaps that needed to be closed, and so they were, they were trying to rebuild and fill those gaps. And that, that'll be as important as we see later. Now, unfortunately, we see Eliashib in a good light here, but when we get to chapter 13... We're going to see he doesn't end real well. He gets himself into some trouble. And um, contact is like coming out of my eye. That's not good. Can you see me? Okay, we're good. <laughs> All right. So he in chapter 13, he allies, him, uh, allies himself with the enemy and, and creates some serious problems for Nehemiah. This shows us that, you know, some people can 
start out enthusiastically in service and in ministry, and they, they can look like a lightning rod for the kingdom of God, and yet they can not finish well. That's a tragedy every time we see that happen. Uh, and so, you know, when, when I see somebody come in and they just look like they're on fire and they're, they're ready to jump in, and, you know, that's why we, you know, we tell people they've got to wait six months to serve here. Because you know, we really don't know anybody the first couple of times they come to church. And so they can come in and look like, wow, you know, they're on fire, they're lit up, and they know all the Christianese language, and yet we don't know if they're ready to crash and burn in their personal life because we don't know them. And unfortunately, we see that happen time and time again. And so uh, it breaks my heart every time I see it. Um, I think what we'll see is Eliashib's grandson married the daughter of Sanballat, so there's some alliances there that that just become real unhealthy for uh, him as far as his influence as a high priest. So we we have to protect ourselves from those unhealthy alliances. That's why we talk a lot about not being unequally yoked, not making unbelievers your primary source of fellowship doesn't mean that you can't fellowship with unbelievers. You, you know, we can't reach them if we don't spend time with them, but that can't be our primary source. Those unhealthy alliances can really bring trouble into our relationship with God. And so we have to protect ourselves, keep our eyes on the Lord. None of us are exempt from being sidelined. God doesn't need any one of us, so if, if we allow ourselves to make those alliances and we get pulled off, course God can park us on the shelf he doesn't need us it's it's a privilege to be able to do what he's asked us to do and and so it isn't like we have the right to do it um, apart from his grace none of us could do what he's asking us to do anyway and and so we need to keep our eyes on him um, keep faithful allegiance to the Lord that's essential for leaders and lay people alike Verse 3, and the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel made repairs. Next to them, Zodak, Zadok, the son of, it's not banana, it's Baana, made repairs. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs. But their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. So the, the sons of Hasana worked at the fish gate, and they were the skilled workers. You know, I mentioned Sunday morning that there are some who, not only they're gifted by God, but they have some natural gifts to be able to do things and do them better than other people. And they're they're more mechanically inclined. They're they're better at construction projects and and such. And um, you know, there there are just some who are gifted by the Lord to do these things, and, and they're a blessing to 
the the ministry and the work of the Lord. I mean, we just had a a group of guys get together and and rebuild shelves or build shelves out in our storage room out in the front building, and they spent about a week uh, or two, and and they were they were very gifted. I mean, it's stuff I wouldn't have been able to do. I mean, I could have looked at it. I could have like said, "Yeah, we need shelves." But if you put the hammer and the saw in my hand, it might not have looked like shelves when we were done. I did build a goat house once. My wife's smiling. She's like, yeah, that wasn't a goat house. Uh, my goat liked it. Nobody else liked it, but my goat liked it. Um, but but I just don't have those natural kind of you know, skills like that. And, and But there are people who do. And these these were skilled workers. I mean, we have... You know, when I go out there when the women to women are, are gathered together and I see all these ladies that know how to sew. They know how to, you know, do these things that, you know, the rest of us don't know how to do. And Blossom Craft Fair has all kinds of things that people just think up and make. And, you know, they're skilled and they're, they're able to put that to use in the ministry. And then others lined up to them and, and worked on the wall, and next to them was a, a, a group that we need to, to look at, the Tekoites. Most of the Tekoites got busy in the work. In fact, we're going to see when we get to verse 27 that, that not only did they get excited and, and fulfill the job that was assigned them, they, they take on another task when they finish, and they move down the wall and and do some some other work. I mean, they they were just you know work workhorses. However, those that were mentioned as nobles didn't work. These nobles from the city of Tekoa uh, thought that they were above hard labor. They're the nobles. It's like we don't we don't get our hands dirty. We're the were the noble people. And, and so they had this mindset that they were above the people. And, and literally, the idea in the, the Hebrew language is that they wouldn't submit to the authority or the leadership of Nehemiah. That they wouldn't bend their necks, I think is the term, and uh, to what the Lord wanted them to do. So the the real issue was a lack of submission. Maybe they thought they they had a better plan than Nehemiah, and and they didn't like the way he he kind of laid things out, and they were kind of superior in their own minds. But whatever their reason, you can be sure that they later regretted not being a part of the work that was taking place, because now it's recorded forever that they thought more highly of themselves than they should have. <laughs> Fortunately, there's enough grace from the Holy Spirit who inspired this to not list their names. But they just got lumped in as a group of nobles. But, but now forever, when people read about it, they read that these people thought that they were above the other people. Were these nobles so important in their own eyes that they couldn't perform manual labor yet we know paul you see his example paul was a tent maker he wasn't afraid to 
you know, work and, and support himself in the ministry and do whatever it took to be able to have the privilege to minister to people. And, you know, you would think about the calling of an apostle. You would think, wow, that's a lofty call. I mean, this is a, this is a person who had great authority from the Lord. I mean, had authority over the church, and yet Paul saw himself in such a light that he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty in order for the privilege to be able to minister to people. And so, Paul was a tent maker. Jesus was a carpenter. Wasn't afraid to work. Wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. If anybody deserved not to work, it would have been our Lord. I mean, he's got the, the name that's above all names. He's, he's the one that, that should receive the attention and the glory and the admiration of everybody. And he still worked. He was still the carpenter. Some people do more work than others. Most workers are glad to lay their lives, lay, lay down their tools when their job is finished. But these men from Tekoa, they, they kept going. They, they took on additional assignments. You see, it isn't enough for us to say that we've you know, done as much as other people and then just kind of cruise. We have to do as much as we can, as long as we are able and empowered by the Lord to do what He's calling us to do. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, whatever work He sets before us, whatever ministry He allows us to do, whatever it is that, that He's engaged our life to do in service to Him, He says, do it heartily, do it with a good, cheerful spirit. Be excited that He's called you to do this. And, and so whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not men, knowing that it's Him we're supposed to please and not men anyway. He goes on in verse 6. He says, Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Passiah, and Meshalam, the son of uh, Besoedae repaired the old gate, and they laid its beams and hung its doors and its bolts and bars. And next to them was Melatiah, the Gibeonite, Jaden, the Maranathite, and the men of Gibeon and Mizpah repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Herhiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephaiah, the son of Hur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. That's an important one to remember. Next to them... Jedediah, the son of Haram, Haramaph, made repairs in front of his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, made repairs. 
Malchijah, the son of Hiram, and Hashab, the son of Pehath Moab, repaired another section as well as the Tower of the Ovens. And next to him was Shalem, the son of Haloesh, the leader of half the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. Another important part. So at least six different workers plus unknown number of priests repaired the, the portions of the wall that were nearest their own houses. Uh, Shalom was the, the leader in Jerusalem. And, and so that tells us this area was his home turf. I mean, this, this was an important area to him to be able to serve. And I think we can follow that example, you know, being involved locally in a ministry so we can serve in that ministry. Remember what, what Jesus told uh, his disciples in Acts one eight: You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. First, locally, you know, there's a, there's a local call for us to be involved in the work of the Lord. Now, it may expand beyond that. He may call us into other areas, but, but initially we have to have a heart for the area he's planted us. And, and so that's why we tell you each week to look at that when you're leaving, that we would be equipped to reach Jesus in our community first and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's important calling to us. Even see diversity in the fact that Shelem's daughters were busy at work. So men and women working side by side. So obviously this guy didn't have sons, and so his daughters were part of the inheritance. And, and so they were coming, and they were working alongside. It's no different in the life of the church today. We see, we see men and women being called and and participating in the life of the church and the life of the ministry and in building whatever it is the Lord has us doing. I love watching VBS week and, and seeing men involved in this. It used to be primarily women would, would be involved with VBS and it would be, you know, just a, a real female dominated event. And I love each year seeing more and more men becoming involved and there there's this team effort of men and women pouring into the lives of these young people and working side by side and seeing Jesus glorified verse 13 and Hanum and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate they built it hung its doors with with its bolts and bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the leader of the district of Beth Hecarim, repaired the refuse gate, and he built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. So let's let's talk about the refuse refuse gate. Could be called the dung gate if you had the King James version. It'd be the dung gate. That gives you a little better picture for what this gate is. Dung, yeah, D-U-N-G, the dung gate. Not the dung gate, <laughs> dung. And 
It's located in the southwest corner of the wall, and this gate was used for the disposal of their garbage and such that was dumped into the Hinnom Valley that was below. And so you could imagine that the work that was going to be done at this gate in this portion of the wall was not a pleasant task. That there was some probably uh, probably a good bit of odor coming through that gate. And, you know, I, I think we can look at that as a valuable lesson for us. You know, I, I remember going to my, my first pastor's conference in 1989. I was uh, brought on staff as a youth pastor at Calvary Chapel Phelan. And, and so they were having this pastor's conference down in, at Calvary Costa Mesa. And I thought, man, this is going to be great. Going to rub elbows with all the big guys. You know, it's really cool. And thinking, man, I'm really something, man. I'm a pastor. Wow. And, and I get to this pastor's conference. And I went to a workshop by Pastor Romaine. Now, Pastor Romaine was Pastor Chuck's assistant pastor for, I don't even know how many years. It was probably over 30 years. I mean, it was a long time. He was an ex-Marine drill sergeant. And he ministered like that. I mean, that, that was his style of ministry. I mean, he was just kind of like a bulldog. And, and so he's up in front of all of us assistant pastors. And his class was titled... How to be a second, not not the senior pastor, but a second, how to be an assistant pastor. And I thought that would be a good one to know. One of the first things he said is, now that you have been given the title of a pastor, you need a scepter. Uh, yeah. And so he pulled out a plunger and he said, this is your scepter. The ministry you're going to be involved in is not always going to be pleasant. You're going to be cleaning toilets. You're going to be unplugging toilets. And, and he went through this long list of everything he thought, what? That's what I'm going to be doing with my life as a pastor? And, and by the time we finished that class, I had a, a different perspective of what ministry was like. Ministry stinks sometimes, and you have to deal with stench, and you have to deal with things that are unpleasant, and you have to deal with things that other people wouldn't want to deal with. And I, I, I think about that class, and I think how many of us need to have refresher courses on what it means to really be in ministry. You know, people often think, if I could only be in full-time ministry, then I could dot, dot, dot. And it's like, you don't really know for what you ask. Because th there is a calling, and there is a lot of unpleasant things that you have to contend with. And, and so, this is an excerpt from Romaine's book. He wrote a book called Second. He said, busier men than you and me find time to serve. My senior pastor, referring to Chuck, 
had just finished, finished three services on a Sunday morning when some folks came looking for him. And I went to hunt him down and I found him waiting around in the men's restroom with his suit and tie and shoes still on. One of the urinals in the men's restroom had overflowed and was in there, and he was in there taking care of it. Don't be afraid to get dirty. Don't think for a minute that you're called to be lords over God's heritage. Don't think you are something when you're not. If you get puffed up, God has a way of sticking a pin in your balloon. You're to be an example. And, and so, folks, I, I think we need to understand that, that whether you're in full-time ministry or you're serving in a ministry, sometimes ministry stinks. I mean, sometimes it's unpleasant. You get dirty. But if the Lord is glorified through what you're doing, then it's a valuable ministry in His kingdom. You'll never regret what the Lord does through you, even if it's difficult or unpleasant. You'll never regret what He does through your life. I can remember going to the World Trade Center, and that, that wasn't a pleasant experience, going and, and digging through the rubble and seeing body parts and the different things that we saw. There wasn't really anything pleasant about it. But I remember the fruit of that ministry. I remember what the Lord did in people's lives while we were there and the changes that took place. So even though being, being deployed there, uh, I believe by the Lord, you know, the, the police chaplain association might have took credit for it, but I think it was the Lord. And, and so being deployed there might not have been a pleasant experience, but the fruit of it was worth every unpleasant thought and memory that comes. You see, I think about the fruit in Bob Rice's life, uh, a cop who came to Christ during that nightmare. Think of Dave Hanna, a Port Authority uh, police inspector. He's actually going to come here and share on 9-11. 9 on a Sunday this year the 15th anniversary, and Dave Hanna is going to come and, and share his experience with you guys. You can be praying for him. And, and so they, they built at the Dungate. Probably wasn't pleasant, but it was necessary. And we've got to continue. We're never going to get through this. Uh, Shalon, the son of Kohosa, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate, and he built it covered it, hung its doors, and with its bolts and bars repaired the wall of the pool of Shelah by the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, this is a different Nehemiah, Nehemiah the son of Azbuk, leader of half the district of Bethzer, made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David to the man-made pool as far as the house of the mighty. After him, the Levites under Rahum, the son of Bani, made repairs. Next to him, Hashabiah, leader of half the district of Keliah, or Keilah, <coughs> excuse me, made repairs for the district. After him, their brethren under 
Bavai, the son of Hanadid, the leader of half the district of Keilah, made repairs. And next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, leader of Mizpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent uh, to the armory and the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, uh, carefully repaired the other section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Miramoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, or Koz repaired, the, uh, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him, the priests and the men of the plain made repairs. After him, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs opposite their house. And uh, after them, Azariah, the son of Maashiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. After him, Benuai, the son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah, to the buttress, even as far as the corner. Palel, the son of Uzai, Uzai, made repairs opposite the buttress and on the towers, which projects from the king's up, projects from the king's upper house. That was by the court of the prison. After him, Pedadiah, the son of Parash, made repairs. And so. Many names, many people, but we see God work through His people and that, that through these hard-working men and women of Judah, uh, we, we see in this section a reminder that when God's people are faithful to God's labor, the work gets accomplished. These folks were all valuable to the cause and they worked hard for the Lord. And of course, God can do whatever He desires through whomever He desires, but He usually chooses those who belong to Him to do the work and who respond to His direction. This was true in the days of Nehemiah. It was true in the New Testament as we read. It is still true today for us. In verse 27 or 26, Moreover, the Nephilim who dwell in Ophel, made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate towards the east and on the projecting tower. After the then the Tekoites uh, repaired another section next to the great projecting tower as far as the wall, wall of Ophel. So here are those Tekoites again. After I mean, these guys were the worker bees. After they finished their other project, they're assigned this one. They didn't stop working, even though their nobles didn't work. The worker bees did, and and they were uh, they they kept the the work moving. and And the nobles, again, it was forever recorded for us that um, they were lazy. <laughs> These guys, they were not. In verse twenty-eight, beyond the horse gate, the priests made repairs in each front of his own each in front of his own house. After them. Uh, Zadok, the son of Imner, Imer, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of uh, Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaph, there you go, repaired another section. 
After him, Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, made repairs in front of his dwelling. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the Nethanin and the merchants in front of Mifkad Gate, as, as far as the upper room at the corner, and between the upper room and the corner, as far as the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. And so they're, they're making this complete circle around the city and uh, looking at these gates. And, and so, you know, in this chapter, it shows us that there's a need for workers to work together to accomplish his work. We know that it pleased God to see these people working in one accord. When he looks at what's taking place in our church, he, he looks at Calvary Chapel, Apple Valley, and he sees you know, people serving in different capacities and people doing different things, but collectively all moving the kingdom of God forward. He looks at that and he's pleased, just like he's pleased with these folks. God is going to put us into places and conditions so that we can work together. We can work side by side. And some will lead, others will follow, but we'll work together. And um, we'll do that with one heart and one mind. It's uh, how our children learn to be active in ministry. When they, they see that lived out in their parents, they see them working with other folks. Parents need to be committed to showing their teachers, or showing their children that they're hard workers. Nehemiah was an effective leader because um, he made each man accountable for his work and, and each had a section that he was responsible for, that the work needed to be done. Uh, we saw goldsmiths, priests, perfumers, all doing what was necessary to move this project. And now, in the next chapter, there is no way I'm going to finish this chapter. Yeah, we're going to close it down. There's no way. If I, if I try to do that chapter, we're going to like rip off half the chapter. So let's pray, and we'll have an early time for ice cream. Stop being so excited about that. Wow. All right, let's pray. Lord, we're so, so thankful for what we see in this chapter. We're thankful that, Lord, you, you show us such a, a valuable principle of working hard and keeping our eyes uh, focused on what's ahead. And, Lord, we, we thank you that, that we see this example of, of men, women, leaders, and followers all working together to accomplish this this rebuilding effort. I pray, Lord, that the lessons learned would be valuable for us as believers tonight. Lord, that we would see value in, in being a part of what you have called us to be a part of. That, Lord, you would um, just continue to speak to us about what you would have us do in in the life of the church, how we can use the gifts that you have given us Lord, and, and to collectively have an impact on our community. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness to minister to our hearts. Pray you'd bless our time of fellowship uh, as, as we move over into the fellowship hall. Lord, may, may you be pleased with what you see. 
in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.